There are two readings this morning. The first one comes from Psalm 119, starting at verse 89. In the Church Bibles, this is on page 619, and in the Large Print Bibles, page 962. So Psalm 119, starting at verse 89. Your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Your faithfulness continues through all generations. You established the earth, and it endures. Your laws endure to this day, for all things serve you. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have preserved my life. Save me, for I am yours. I have sought out your precepts. The wicked are waiting to destroy me, but I will ponder your statutes. To all perfection I see a limit, but your commands are boundless. Oh, how I love your law. I meditated on it all day long. The second reading is from John's Gospel. Chapter 5, starting at verse 36. Church Bibles, this is on page 1069, and in the large print Bibles, page 1075. So John chapter 5, starting at verse 36. Jesus said, I have testimony weightier than that of John, for the very work that the Father has given me to finish and which I am doing testifies that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You diligently study the scriptures, because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Sue, very much. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that you've given us your word inspired by your spirit. And we pray that this morning as we wait upon you, you will open your word to our hearts and our hearts to your word, that we might live for you and have our lives shaped by you through scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. Letting scripture shape your life. I'm going to give you a text for the week, and here it comes. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Colossians 3.16. If you know John 3.16, Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now I want to, um, it's very important, the word of Christ. In the later NIV it says the message of Christ, which is a diminution. The word of Christ, the word is logos, and it has a much wider meaning than simply message. Message is included. 
So I prefer the older NIV and the NASB, the KJV, and all the other versions have Word. Now, I want to make a few preliminary points as they come to this vast subject. The first is that um, when we come to Scripture, we quite often in our sermons, we look at a verse in great detail or a passage of Scripture. And it's as it were, we have our binoculars, and here I am, I can see Mike there, very detailed, I can see your face, Mike, and uh, I can see each one of you that I pick out here. Uh, there's John, John Jones up there, and you can see his expression very clearly. That's how we often look at Scripture. Today I want to look through these binoculars the other way around. And this time, instead of just seeing one little bit, my word, I can see the whole congregation, the whole lot of you, the whole scope. And in a way, that's what I want to do this morning, is to not so much dissect a text, but look at the scope of what Scripture says about itself. And another preliminary point I want to make is that we are a church of word and spirit, and we seek to hold them together. And nothing that I say this morning should diminish the emphasis we place on the Holy Spirit of God. I'm reminded, and you will be familiar with those amazing words of David Watson when he said, all word and no spirit we dry up, all spirit and no word we blow up, both word and spirit we grow up. And uh, we remember as we focus on Scripture and the Word that it is inspired by the Spirit of God. It is God-breathed. Third, the preliminary point I want to make is that essentially Scripture is not sort of some dry book, but it is God's Word. It is God speaking to us. And I shouldn't forget, uh, over 50 years ago, I was the youth leader in our church in London, and um, we had a youth weekend, and at the end of the weekend, uh, we had a panel for questions, so anyone could ask any questions they liked. And one of the questions that came up was, does God always speak to us in Scripture? And I was asked first, and I said something about, well, God does speak to us in Scripture, but, you know, there are times when we feel God is not speaking to us, he might be saying good things, but... It's not particularly for us, you know. And someone who was much wiser than me was the next person, and this is what he said, and I've never forgotten it, and it's coming up now. God always speaks, but we don't always listen. That's a great thing, isn't it? So how can we let Scripture shape our lives? There's so much to say. And I've distilled it down, really, to four main things. There are many, many more. But here goes. What God offers us in Scripture. And the first one is truth. Your word is truth. Who said that? Do you know? I'll tell you. Jesus said it. Your word is truth in his high priestly prayer. And Psalm 119, a great psalm for Scripture, all your words are true. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful, profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God-breathed truth. Timothy, when he wrote that, of course, was referring to the Old Testament. So, when Jesus said that, your word is truth, it was the Old Testament. But Jesus also said, the spirit of truth will guide you, the apostles, into all truth. And so we have the New Testament affirmed by various councils of the church 
as the truth of God, also inspired by the Spirit, as Jesus had promised. Scripture is historically true, first of all. Now, a friend of mine does guided tours at the British Museum, and he takes people round. He's the pastor of a church in Alton, and uh, he specifically takes them to lots of the uh, archaeological finds, the various things, the inscriptions and the pictures that demonstrate the truth of Scripture, historically true. And he and another friend of mine, Brian Edwards, is Clive Anderson, Brian Edwards, in case you know, they wrote a book together called Evidence for the Bible. This you can buy in the British Museum shop. It's in quite a prominent place there. Fairly recent book, and it will set you back 25 pounds, but it is a brilliant book, Evidence for the Bible. It's historically true. Not only so, but it is theologically true. That is, it is true for all the doctrines that we believe and subscribe to. All point to the truth, right through Scripture, to truth as it is in Jesus. You think of Luke 24, when Jesus accompanied, came up unknown to them and accompanied those two uh, disciples as they were walking on the road to Emmaus. And what did he do? He explained to them all the scriptures concerning himself. And if you start from Genesis right through, you'll find pointers all the time. Some prophetic, quite specific, sacrifices, quite specific, other hints in the Psalms and elsewhere that point to Jesus. So the truth is there in Jesus. What he's done for us and described, of course, in the Gospels and then unpacked in the letters, all that Jesus has done for us. So, as we grow to go to Scripture, let it shape our lives, our thinking about what is true, both historically and theologically. It teaches us truth. Second is this, that Scripture gives us life. The third, next word is life. And I asked Sue to read this passage because, you see, it is possible to regard the Scriptures just as sort of intellectual, academic exercise. And that's what Jesus accuses the religious leaders of doing here in that passage. He says, you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the Scriptures that speak of me, as we've been saying, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. The whole purpose of Scripture is to lead us to Jesus and the life that there is in him. So our lives are to be shaped by the life of Jesus in us. Starts when we're born again. You've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring Word of God. The Word of God is living and enduring. And you remember in John 3, how the encounter with Nicodemus, Jesus said, you are born of water and the Spirit. So you see here both Spirit and the Word, Scripture, work together in bringing us new life. They work together. And the parable of the sower, that, uh, mess, that little word that came up here, the seed is the Word of God. Do you see that? The seed, you know, when you water a seed, like the water of the Spirit and the warmth of the Spirit, like the sun, it comes to life. It has life in itself, and it comes to life. And that's how Scripture is and should be for us. 
in the good soil, when it's planted and watered, the good seed is alive and brings forth life and fruitfulness. So the word is life-giving. Charles Wesley put it like this. He speaks, and listening to his voice, new life the dead receive. That was true of my conversion. When I look back 55 years this year, when I was converted, what brought me to life was Scripture, speaking into my need of God's forgiveness of what I'd done wrong. And though our sins be as scarlet, they shall be whiter than snow. And the promise that I often use after our confession, because it means a lot to me, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And it was through the words of Scripture by the Holy Spirit that I came into new life in Jesus. And I'm sure many of you could say the same. Jesus said, the words that I've spoken to you, they are spirit, they are life. And some were beginning to turn back from following Jesus. And Jesus said to his disciples, do you want to go as well? And Peter said, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. So they realized it was about a relationship with Jesus. They wanted to follow him because he had life and gave the words of eternal life. And so as we come to Scripture, part of, a major part of shaping our lives is that we have a relationship with Jesus who shapes us, who saves us and shapes us. He said, I've come that you might have life to the full, that we might have a fulfilled life in our relationship with Jesus. No wonder that um, as we go out, you know, into the world of which we're part of the community around us, we are told in Scripture to shine as lights in the world, holding forth what? Holding forth the word of life. This word is like seed. It has power and life in itself. So, in our lives, we sometimes, of course, face uncertainty, don't we? We face difficult decisions, quandaries about which way to go, about career or relationships or where to live, which church to go to, and all those things. A third way, then, in which Scripture shapes our lives is this. Through it, God gives us guidance. Those of you who were brought up uh, and had contact with Christians in your younger days through Scripture Union and things like that, you will know how often this word, this phrase, uh, verse was used. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light to my path. Now, the guidance God gives in Scripture is in, I'm oversimplifying, but in two parts. There is general guidance about how we might shape our lives. So we have the Ten Commandments, we have the Psalms, we have the Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, we have Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, we have the parables. Then we have the New Testament and the letters. And there is so much practical guidance about all aspects of our lives, how they can be shaped in our relationships together, in our personal morality, as citizens in relation to the state. And the scriptures have been the inspiration for many charities, for our legal system, for schools when they were set up, health services, more recently for food banks, for Christians Against Poverty, for Through the Roof, and a whole host of things. So scriptures, there's general guidance in scriptures about how we should live our lives together in community and how we witness and show compassion and so on general guidance. But there is also in Scripture, we will find, God speaks to us for personal guidance too. 
And you see that in Scripture, how many times in both the Old and the New Testament, God spoke to individuals and guided them. Abraham, Moses, Elijah, the prophets, John the Baptist, Peter, Paul. God spoke to them all personally and showed them where he wanted them to go, what he wanted them to do. And that's true for us as well. It's true for me. In my, as I look back, there are crucial points in my life when I've needed guidance and God has always led me through Scripture. Once when I was applying for a job, I was thinking, should I come out of teaching and go into educational management? The verse I had that morning in my reading was, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And I thought, well, whatever happens, God is with me, whether I get the job or not, and I will be at peace. Isn't that a wonderful thing about being a Christian, that we can know God guides us? And even if the result is negative in human terms, we're still in the pathway of his will. Uh, when we moved to Guildford, we had the verse, uh, we, we had lots and lots of problems about moving, and one Sunday evening, the preacher at our previous church in London preached on, I know the plans I have for you, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And that was the verse we were given when we joined in membership many years before, 28 years before in that church. And as I walked down the road afterwards with Pam, I said to her, you know, something's going to happen this week. That was for us. And it did. That week always resolved on the Wednesday. And um, the same verse when I was thinking about ordination. And uh, David Bracewell, when I was in the sort of uh, the process of thinking it through and praying about it, and I'd never heard him preach on it before or since, that Sunday evening he preached on that same verse, I know the plans I have for you. And it was as if God was saying, you know, you're in the right pathway, this is what I want you to do. And I had uh, other verses about going to, when we went to Hounslow, about the shepherd, because the church there was called the Church of the Good Shepherd, and some of you know the story of that. And uh, in the chaplaincy at Losley, again in our readings, we had, I know the plans I have for you, it just came up again. And so I know, you know, through personal guidance, I'm just telling you this as part of my own testimony very rapidly, I'm afraid. I could write a book on it, really. Um, and I probably never will. But, um, you know, God's hand is on our lives through Scripture, and he gives us personal guidance. And you too, I'm sure many of you have the same testimony. And look to God to shape your life and to speak to you when you're facing decisions, to speak to you from Scripture about whatever it might be. And he will, as you seek his word and as you pray and as you listen. Do you remember that? God always speaks, but we don't always listen. And he will shape your life by his word. So we come to my fourth thing. God in his word gives us truth and life and guidance. My fourth point is that God gives us nourishment. Psalm 19, verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. Psalm 119 again, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. And Psalm 119 is full of all sorts of things that do nourish us emotionally in our lives, for example. Delight, love, hope, strength and comfort in suffering, these are all nourishment. So the words and verses of Scripture not only bring us truth and life and guidance, but they sustain us and strengthen us and nourish us and thus shape our lives to make us strong in God. They speak to us, assure us of God's presence, of his unfailing love, his constant forgiveness, his promises that from the throne of grace we will obtain mercy and find grace to help 
in our times of need. And that is nourishing. You know, we need bread, don't we, every day? Scripture Union, one of their series of notes is called Daily Bread, isn't it? We need daily bread from Scripture to nourish us. And Scripture is just like that. So, uh, last week, I thought David and Sarah did a wonderful time we had, didn't we, on contemplative prayer, and they brought in Lectio Divina. And as we take a passage of Scripture, perhaps a psalm or something else, and we ask God just to let one word or phrase enter our hearts and minds, and we might even write it down. So this morning, this is what I wrote down. Steadfast love surrounds those who trust in the Lord. It's a lovely promise, but it's also a challenge to trust him, isn't it? And so you can take a word with you through the day to nourish you and strengthen you through that day. That is Lectio Divina that we heard a bit about, and we could say more. I mean, one thing I can't say in this, a whole another topic is how we, um, how we receive, how we read God's word and how God speaks to us through it. And I'm touching on some of those aspects this morning. But there's far more to say about practical ways of doing it, which I can't go into now. But Lecto Divina is one, and the other one they took us into was the Ignatian entering into a gospel story. And again, that's a very helpful thing to do, to just walk with Jesus and see what he says to us. It's about life in Jesus, the scriptures to point us to Jesus. And so we take a gospel story in that way, as St. Ignatius taught us. These things are nourishing. So... I wonder when you um, come to church and you hear a sermon and so on, um, how much that really nourishes you. That's what we should be doing as preachers, bringing God's word so that the word nourishes you and feeds you for the coming week. Now, a bit like a meal, you know. Now, if I asked you what you had for lunch last month on the fourth Sunday last month, would any of you be able to tell me for the Sunday lunch? Or six months ago? Bet you couldn't. There will be the occasional meal that will stand out, but you can't remember, just as you probably can't remember what the sermon was about four weeks ago or six months ago. But what was the value of the lunch you had? This is the phrase I want to leave you with you. It did me good at the time. It did me good at the time. And that's like a sermon, isn't it? It does you good at the time. It nourishes you for the coming days. And then another meal comes along from Scripture and nourishes you and feeds you for the coming days. So I think that's how we should use Scripture. Let it feed us for the time, and there'll be certain things that stand out in your life, certain markers to remember, perhaps write down in a spiritual journal. But by and large, week by week, we just need the bread, daily by day, don't we? Bread and water. Jesus and the Spirit, the bread of life and the Spirit of life, the water of life. No wonder in the passage that um, Sue read to us, it finishes, Oh, how I love your law, I meditate on it all day long. And it strengthens us, doesn't it? And shapes our lives in those ways. Jesus, as we sang at the beginning, he is risen he is exalted, he is enthroned and crowned with many crowns. And with that picture in the first chapter of Revelation there, what does the crowned and exalted Jesus say to each of the seven churches? To each of them, he says, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says. Right? God always speaks, but we don't always listen. 
so may our lives be shaped by Scripture, what God by his Spirit says to us. Let God shape your life by the truth he teaches you, by the life he gives you in your relationship with Jesus, by the guidance God offers you, and by the nourishment God provides for us. God's word offers us all that and more to enrich and shape our lives. Here are riches indeed. And so I leave you with my final slide. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. It's where we started. Shall we just say that together? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And we, as it were, say that to one another and encourage one another in that. Amen.